Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on the viewpoint SAFM It's got to be Bongo Mafina among Ponto and the one Jimmy Dojo So Queens of in the morning time of this last time, I was checking out sunrise. Killing Mutra Tower calling, Situba was a calling. Limpurana, my Tamela Mabulai. But in the noon time of my life, give up. Namayani Kipo, my Nako Kodra. Sima Kayadi Tulano Zabotro, we men. Now you see how we do. Come through with Jimmy Tutu. I know the evening's coming, but I'm not thinking about it. There's stuff about it coming and Zabula di Batonga Kusalehan. And when we are no more, I get it will be much in the Bahad. Badimo, Balrubal is in Choma. Balrubal is in Choma.
Monday, 20th day of May, five days to go before we inaugurate a president, a man who will be effecting the mandate of some 10 million South Africans given the right to vote that was expressed on May 8 for President Cyril Ramaphosa. Whether it was an endorsement of him or the party or both, we will not know, but we sure have our hopes pinned on him. It's Monday. Good morning. Good evening, I beg your pardon. My name is Songa Zomabetza. And I'm in studio joined by a man who leaves very little introduction to social rights in South Africa. After him will be quite an inspirational story of Mr. Lukanyo Mafu, Forte student who went within seven years from Gardner to a social sciences graduate. And we have a surprise in store for him, as well as a Dr. Papi Majuba, Right to Care Chief Medical Officer, talking all things health on Health Talk on Monday. That will be at the top of the hour at 9 o'clock. But for the first hour, we are joined by a man, Mr. Mark Haywood, who's a disruptor in just about every sense. Very recently, he gave a lecture talking about why civil disobedience is necessary. Good evening, Mark. Do you want to tell us what civil disobedience is? Of course, I ask in the legal and moral framework of the country. You don't want, you don't want to be misinterpreted as you talk about that. But tell us what civil disobedience is. Good evening. Good evening, Songeza. Well, let me just contextualize that. And first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, you know, I gave a lecture at uh, Gibbs, uh, the Gordon Institute of Business Science, last week to mark my retirement or stepping down from Section 27, which was the social justice organization I co-founded in 2010. And I wanted to talk about 
civil society and the constitution and activism and all of our responsibilities and the power that we have as citizens to shape our destinies, to shape the course of government. And so that poster or the reference to civil disobedience was a reference back to in 2003, the beginning of 2003, when the Treatment Action Campaign, after trying very, very hard to persuade then-President Thabo Mbeki to provide antiretroviral treatment to pregnant women living with HIV and failing to negotiate, failing to persuade, failing to make progress through protest, eventually they said, we're going to launch a civil disobedience campaign. And in that context, civil disobedience was peacefully breaking the law through protest in order to say that the law is being used in an unfair way to deny women living with HIV access to antiretroviral treatment. And at times, I guess the message is, is that at times in all of our lives, in all of our politics, there comes a point where you will have to take a stand politically one way or another if you are to help mold a fair and a just society and an equal society. Hello? The AIDS law pro- Hi, Mark. I'm saying the treatment action campaign is not the only civil society organization you participated with. You were part of the AIDS law project and in the latter day, section 27. Tell us about the last 25 years of your life in civic organizations looking after the interests of what society would refer to as weak. I'm looking, of course, this in the context of the constitution and the progressive realization of the socioeconomic rights that it confers on people. Give us your legacy in 25 years. Uh, well, I, I you know, as a young person, joined the liberation struggle. In fact, as a young white person, I grew up in different African countries and found myself as a teenager in in Gaborone, in Botswana, in the late 1970s. And I was shocked and angered by the murder of Steve Biko in 1977. And that put me on a path of increasing engagement with the liberation movement whilst I was at university and then after I left university right through until 1994. Um, But what happened in 1994 was something unexpected to me. In 1994, I thought I could take a back seat. Uh, We got freedom. We got democracy. There was the promise of a new constitution. We didn't yet have that new constitution. Um, And, you know, I thought that I'd done my bit. But in 1994, I was drawn into the AIDS epidemic uh, because Zaki Ahmad was a comrade and a friend of mine, and I was living in a flat with him in Hillbrow at the time. And I began to work on the HIV epidemic, and as I began to understand the HIV epidemic, I understood that diseases like HIV, poverty, the denial of social rights, could have as big an effect in preventing people from having dignity and having equality as in a previous era, apartheid had had. And particularly with HIV, you know, two and a half million people have died of HIV uh, up until a few years ago in in South Africa. It was robbing people of rights to life. So that was the beginning of my journey as as a civil society activist saying, okay, freedom was an enormous step forward, but it didn't bring about freedom. It didn't bring about dignity and equality. So let's now see what we can do to 
to use the new tools that the struggle has won, in this case, the Constitution, the law, the right to protest, in order to make sure that we continue that advance to the point where everybody in South Africa can live a peaceful and a dignified life and a life where there is opportunity. I'm going to ask you after the break about the stereotypes that you have to deal with. I'm going to ask you about the magnitude of AIDS as it was in terms of how society understood and received it. And I'm also going to talk to you about the legacy of Simon Gawley, one of the early gay activists, yeah. as well as one who had HIV and AIDS after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, we in conversation with Mr. Mark Haywood. Outgoing Executive Director of Section 27. We're taking your calls after the break on 0891-104-207. Please leave us your voice notes on 0614-104-207. We're back in our Radio Park studios, so everything is back to normal. That's why we have Mark Haywood. Stay tuned. Hashtag Kava. My favorite drama is on. Huh? Kava. Yeah. Tell me just discover that all the money has been stolen. Now, Sipo is a suspect. Gaga, did you just say hashtag cover? Yeah, as in look, like hashtag cover. How easy, convenient and fast it is to receive your TV license statement and pay electronically. That's great, Gaga, because you will never miss an episode of your favorite drama. Because you can do it all while sitting on your couch. Hashtag that. <laughs> pay your TV license the simple way. Go to tvlic.co.za. SABC TV licenses. Hashtag made possible by you. Don't miss the third annual Africa Shared Value Summit taking place from the 23rd till the 24th of May 2019 in Nairobi. Thought leaders and business changemakers from across Africa will share insights and case studies showing how shared value can transform your business and create the Africa we want. Book your tickets at AfricaSharedValueSummit.com today. The Africa Shared Value Summit is proudly sponsored by Safari.com, All Mutual, NL, APSA, The World Food Program, JC Deco, and the Shared Value Africa Initiative. Dr. Mindy Lahiri is a talented obstetrician with a chaotic personal life who struggles to find the perfect relationship, remain focused at work, stay current on reality TV, and channel her inner warrior, Beyonce Pad Thai. She shares her practice with three doctors, one who is in an on-and-off relationship with Mindy, the other who is the resident punching bag, and the frat boy who knows nothing about the opposite sex. The Mindy Project starts Friday, 10 May at 8.30pm, only on SABC3. Call Songhez or now, 891 yeah, please, 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 please. We're taking your calls on 891 WhatsApp voice notes are welcome, please, on 0614-104-207. We're in conversation with Mr. Mark Haywood, who delivered his farewell lecture as he stepped down from his role as Executive Director of Section 27 at an event titled The True Confessions of an Errant Socialist. He spoke about his 24 years as an activist and he lauded civil society for all the progress that they've made in democratic South Africa. He has also, that said, lamented at how civil society has not done enough to address issues of race and transformation in South Africa. And he highlighted this in his speech and how design flaws of civil society are slowing down progress in some areas. We're going to talk about design flaw, but just before the break, we talked about HIV and AIDS and the stigmatization that it heralded as soon as it was known generally in South Africa. And then you've got people like Mr. Simon Gawley, who was a male, an African, 
and gay and he had HIV and AIDS. Talk about the stigmatization on the one hand and having a figure like Simon Gawley to lead this charge in terms of democratizing the condition that is HIV and AIDS. Well, well Simon Gawley was, I, I think, one of the heroes of of our liberation struggle. In addition to being gay uh, and an activist and open about having HIV and AIDS, Simon was also a political activist. He was a Delmas treason trialist. And Simon was infected with HIV and uh, formed some of the first gay and lesbian organizations. He, he was part of forming an organization called GLOW, uh, Gay and Lesbian Wits, Organization. Right? GLOW. Uh, that was at the yeah, Wits University. Sorry, Songeza. Was that at Wits University? Uh, the AIDS Consortium was at Wits University. GLOW was assisted by Wits University, but it was independent. Yes, yes. Um, and it was that and another organization called the Township AIDS Project. But actually, you know, my encounter with Simon uh, was fairly limited. But what Simon, what, what Simon caused to happen was that Simon died of AIDS on the 30th of November, 1998. Mm. And at the point when Simon died uh, on that day, in, 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 in developed countries we began to have treatments for HIV. And the trajectory of death and disease that was being caused by HIV was being turned down and people were beginning to live with HIV, which is how we describe it today. Yes. So we drew attention to the contrast between an epidemic that was fast developing in South Africa, which was a death sentence for most people, and living with HIV in developed countries. And Simon's death became the catalyst to the treatment action campaign I see. and it linked with another death and this links this this relates to your point about stigma which was that two or three weeks after simon died of aids a young woman called gugu dlamini uh, who lived in kwamashu in uh, kzn in durban was stoned to death uh because she had disclosed her hiv status publicly on a radio station as part of world aids days event and that showed just how dark was the cloud and the stigma and the fear and the hatred that surrounded HIV. So we felt when we formed the treatment action campaign that treatment would help to break the stigma of HIV because if people thought of HIV as a treatable rather than an automatically fatal condition, it would take some of the misunderstanding and fear out of the equation. And and so that was how that was how the TAC started and I think the TAC is one of the great successes of of, of our democratic uh, South Africa because today there are nearly five million people in our country who live with HIV and are on treatment yes. and are well and continue to be productive members of society. But that's where it all started. When one talks about HIV and AIDS, one cannot separate it from a young man who passed away at the very tender age of 12 years. Yes, Johnson. Exactly. Um, you know, and Corsi Johnson, which is who you're referring to, who I did have the privilege of, of, of knowing. Uh, again, you know, Corsi and his mum, Gail, came to prominence on, on our, you know, on our, in, our, in our media became a household name at that very point 
that very sad and, and unfortunate point in our history where President Thabo Mbeki and the government then and the ANC were denying people access to antiretroviral uh, treatment. And I'm sure many of the listeners will remember the, the sad occasion when uh, Nkosi spoke at the International AIDS Conference in Durban in the year 2000 and made yes. a plea that treatment should be made, made available to, 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 to people with AIDS. So, yes, there's a whole, there's a whole history around HIV. It's a history of, of sadness, of loss, of death, but it's also a history of disruption, of heroism, of courage, and I think, above all, of people using the law, using the Constitution to peacefully change a wrong policy uh, that our government had subscribed to at that time. You talk about the law, you talk about Constitution, you talk about the early activists. Justice Edwin Cameron comes to mind, doesn't he? He was quite instrumental in all of this. Yes, Justice Edwin Cameron, now a, a justice of our constitutional court, you know, one of the first people in our country to uh, uh, be open about living with HIV. Uh, justice Cameron has his own history. Edwin Cameron was, a, was an anti-apartheid lawyer before yes. he became an HIV activist at the, at the Center for Applied Legal Studies. And he founded the AIDS Consortium, which was perhaps our first activist AIDS organization. He founded the AIDS Law Project. He was the, I think, the person who inspired uh, a, charter on H- a charter of rights on HIV and AIDS, which was developed in 1993 and signed by all the political parties before the 1994 election. Uh, and Edwin has, you know, continued. He's long left the the, the trenches of, of civil society activism, but he's continued to be a spokesperson for justice and dignity and the human rights of people living with HIV, even whilst he's been a, been a judge. I'm deliberately citing these names, Simon Gorley, yep. African male, Ngosi Johnson, a child, yep. Edwin Cameron, a white male, to talk about how indiscriminate the condition was and similarly how important it was to have these demographics carrying the faces and images of the condition HIV and as you mentioned Gugulu Lamini as well how important was it for this message to be carried in such a manner that says we are all affected by it well it was very important because HIV has always been surrounded and clouded and confused by issues of stigma and discrimination. So there was a point, you know, in the, in the, the, the 1980s when we first saw HIV in South Africa where the then government, the National Party, tried to say HIV is just a gay disease. And then there was another point where people tried to say HIV is just a disease of sex workers and prostitutes and, and, and in inverted commas, immoral uh, people. There was a time when people said HIV is a black disease and a time when people said HIV is a white disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all about blame. It's all about an other person. Uh, it's about othering. And what stigma does and what it did very effectively with HIV was to drive the epidemic underground, to make people to be afraid to test 
for HIV, to make people afraid of being open about HIV, even to their closest friends, which is you know, the big struggle that we had in the, 19, in, the early, in the 1990s was we knew that HIV was going to assume massive proportions in this country, but nobody wanted to believe that because everybody said, where's this HIV that you're talking about? We don't know anybody who's dying of, of, of HIV or AIDS. And that was because of, of, of the stigma. And let me say, Songhez, are we talking about HIV as if it is something from the past? But, you know, HIV is still very much a, a, a challenge to our 2019 and going forward South African society. There are still hundreds of people being newly infected with HIV every day. There are still hundreds of thousands of people dying of AIDS and TB every year in this country today. HIV is not over, and we are taking our eyes off the HIV ball at our peril because we have to be, be constantly on top of our treatment and prevention programs mm-hmm. and ensuring that people have access to quality health care services so that they can get proper care. We're taking the ball off HIV at our peril. Those are the true confessions of an errant socialist, Mr. Mark Awood. We're taking your calls on 0891 WhatsApp 614 Comments, questions, contributions to Mr. Mark Haywood, outgoing executive director of Section 27, a person who's imploring South Africans to protest, but protest one within the law and do so peacefully. True confessions of an errant socialist. That is something he talked about last week on the 16th of May at the Gibbs Auditorium and why civil disobedience is necessary. That civil disobedience, Mark, probably reached its climax, if you will, when you took on the establishment, no higher office as that of the president, and winning, and which is more, government responding to the injunctions of the Constitutional Court's decision. Have things changed a bit then? Do Or does the establishment still hold the decisions of the highest court in the land? Do they have that fidelity now as they might have in 2001 after TAC, 2003 TAC? Look, I think that our government is remarkable amongst governments in the world for the way in which it actually does honor the law and does honor the Constitution and the Constitutional Court. And, and we, we, you know, we've seen how nobody, no politician in our country once the law begins to take them on, is able to evade the constitution and constitutional responsibilities. But what I, what worries me, Songhezo, and what I'm seeing increasingly is that when we won the judgment in 2002 on HIV and the government was ordered to provide antiretroviral medicines to pregnant women who had HIV, mm. they were slow. We had to continue to demonstrate, but eventually we managed to get them to comply and to roll out that medicine and many, many lives were saved. What I think we see today with litigation around what we call socio-economic rights, so health, basic education, housing and, and, and water, is that increasingly the government says, yeah, we respect the court order, but we've got no money. And so I can think of two very important judgments, the, the Michael Kamati judgment, the little boy who drowned at the bottom of a, of a toilet horribly, tragically in Limpopo, where his death has done very little to cause toilets, safe toilets, to be built in mm. schools. And another very important judgment 
which was won by the organization called Equal Education, saying that there must be a set of minimum norms and standards for infrastructure for all of our public schools in the country. And the High Court in the Eastern Cape said, yes, there must be a legally binding set of minimum standards, but the government continues to have schools that are far, far below those standards and says it can't afford to meet those obligations. So the challenge, I think, for all of us, you, me, the listeners, every activist in this country, is to start to engage the government on how it raises money from taxes and where it raises money from taxes, how it spends money efficiently without corruption, and where money is targeted. Because I would argue that the money must be targeted at meeting the needs of the most poor and disadvantaged in our country, particularly in relation to legally binding constitutional rights. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207-0614-104-107. That's for voice notes. We're in conversation with Mr. Mark Haywood. We have all of 10 minutes left, so if you're flirting with that idea, do it. You've got absolutely nothing to lose and all to gain. From Durban, we have Carly. Good evening, Carly. Uh, good evening to Sanchezo. It's Kali. Kali, uh, I beg your pardon. Man, I, I'm sorry. Okay for that. Um, it's a shock, man, you know, uh, about... Hello to Mark Haywood, man. You know, it's mm-hmm. a honor speaking to you, sir. Uh, you know, what a shock you're giving. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure most of us South Africans will be shocked at this news. You're leaving us now. Uh, you know, I mean, now you, you had a, a, a so much integral part in um, uh, uh, bringing this country to where it is, you know, like in that part of the uh, uh, lifestyle, uh, medical side and so on, man. You know, just hearing to you now, sir, uh, uh, Mr. Hayward and... Um, Hey, the main thing is the living. Just consider it again and give us a more few years of your life, sir, please, man. You know, thank you. Thank you so radio. much. Thank you so okay. much, Kelly. That's a first caller from Durban, Kelly, and we have Mohammed from Warden. Good evening, Mohammed. Oh, uh, good evening, Tongas, and uh, Mr. Mike Haywood. I love your energy, man. What's happening? Good evening. Uh, Mr. Mike Haywood, uh, good evening, my friend. Good evening. Yeah, you fight for us a lot. If you leave us, we are going to miss you. Please, that position will you appoint for fight for Tulimadosela to occupy that place. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you so much, Mohammed Warden in the Free State. Mark, let's talk about your legacy and more importantly, talk about your successor because people don't know Umunyana Rugege and what a talented lady yeah. she is. What a formidable formidable fighter for human rights she is. My little and limited interaction with her was with the health market inquiry. She's going to take this thing and fly with it. Exactly. So let me put uh, both callers at at ease. Sure. Section 27 is in very good hands. Uh, It has one of the best teams of activists that I've ever worked with. It's about 40 people, uh, young people, lawyers, uh, researchers, field workers in the community, they all have a passion for justice. They are going to continue to be seen and heard and to be demanding. It has a leadership, which I'm proud to say, a leadership team which is made up entirely of women, uh, and a leader, Umanyana Rujerje, who is a lawyer who's been at Section 27 uh, for seven years. Um, so it's in very capable hands. And I believe it will continue to make its imprint. 
uh, on our politics and particularly on issues of social justice. And let me just also say that I'm I'm stepping down as the director of Section 27, but I'm not stepping away from the quest for social justice and equality and dignity uh, in South Africa. I I wanted to. I don't think leaders should sit as the directors of organizations forever. They must make way for young people to learn as leaders and to take responsibility. There's lots of space in our country to be leaders. There's lots of different places to to provide leadership for men. I have to interrupt. I'm sorry for you. I have to interrupt you. That last comment comes in at probably the most appropriate time. We have certain individuals who are going to be sworn in for the sixth time in a couple of yes. days. That's somewhat tragic, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is, because Songhezo, anybody who works with the young people of this country, and 59% of our population are under the age of 30, will tell you about the ingenuity, the ideas, the creativity, the energy. Old people have to shuffle off the stage and not depart with all their wisdom and their experience and their knowledge, which is important, but actively transfer that knowledge to to younger people. I I agree with you. For people to be going back to Parliament for the sixth time, to be sitting in Parliament at the age of 70, and I don't mean any disrespect to older people or 65 or whatever. But it's reality. Yeah. It's reality. Before we take a quick head break, it's now 20 to 9, Mark. Here's an SMS from one Miss Vuseka Baba. It sounds like Mark is all work, 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 and more work. Does Mark, any, does, does Mark get any time to play? We all know what they say. All work and no play makes Jim a very dull boy. Hang on to that thought, Mark. We'll be back right after the break when you answer Miss Vuseka Baba. World of Dance is an electrifying dance competition which puts the world's greatest dancers against each other for the chance to win a grand prize of $1 million. Hosted by talented dancer and actress Jenna Jewin, World of Dance boasts an all-star panel of judges featuring Jennifer Lopez, Neo and Derek Howe. In the finale, the winners of each division go head-to-head to determine the champion. Don't miss this electrifying show only on SABC3, starting Saturday, 8th of June at 7 p.m. The business landscape is changing. Is your business ahead of the curve? Join us on the 23rd and 24th of May for our live broadcast from the 2019 Africa Shared Value Summit in Nairobi, Kenya, where we'll be engaging with some of the world's brightest business minds on how businesses can create both economic value and value for society. Tune in for all this and more. The summit is proudly sponsored by Safaricom, Old Mutual, NL, APSA, the World Food Program, JC Deco, and the Shared Value Africa Initiative. Learn more at AfricaSharedValueSummit.com. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomabete on SAFM. We have time for just one call, 891 or a couple of voice notes, 614 Mark, your response to Vuiseka? Vuiseka, uh, I, I, I think it's an interesting question. I'd just say that I really believe we must 
always keep time for ourselves, for the pleasures and the joys of, of life, whatever makes us happy. I love uh, literature. I love reading. I love running. I love riding bicycles. I love nature. Uh, you know, and I make sure that I keep in touch with all of those things because I believe that mm. if we lose touch with those things, we become robots and then we're not able, we forget what it is that makes us human. And if we, if we stop being human, we can't fight for other humans' rights. Mark, I think you're being a little, a little modest about it. I mean, you take it quite extremely when you talk about running. We talk about Comrades Marathon that you're preparing for you. You talk about riding bicycles. It's far from just that. It's 900 kilometers, Joburg to sea, from Johannesburg to the KZN. That's extreme. <laughs> well, <laughs> seeing as you, you're exposing me, Fongezo, I mean, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an extreme distance runner and an extreme uh, distance cyclist, but um, yeah, I rode, in fact, just a month ago from Johannesburg to see on a mountain bike race, and I will be doing my 20th comrades, hopefully, in three Good weeks' time. Um, but I think that the thing about endurance running and cycling, if you're up to it, is that it teaches you how to run the marathon of life and how to endure uh, in struggles around activism and social justice. Good metaphors and being physical used. health is good for mental health. Let me also say that. There are no two questions about that. Penultimate question, Mark. Yeah. How do we as a nation, going back to the initial point that we talked about, civil disobedience, how do we as a nation engage government in the advent of a protest climate that turns violent quite often, that becomes destructive just about all the time, and where the issues tend to be on the periphery and the brawn and political party lines tend to be the rule as opposed to the exception? Sure, that's a big big question. I, the first thing I would say is that I think that one thing we've learned since 1994 is that we have to engage government at every level and governance at every level. So whether it's a school governing body, whether it's a hospital board, whether it's a clinic committee, whether it's your municipality, whether it's the provincial government, whether it's the national government. Government needs to feel the breath, the demands of people. It needs to be accountable. It needs to be reminded that they are public servants. Yes. Their duty in Parliament is to fulfill the Constitution, not first to their, politi first to their political party. And my, my parting comment to the listeners would be, we have a new government. And from the very beginning, this new government has to feel the people. Whatever political party you belong to, yes, that is important for democracy, but it's also important to fight for your rights. Important points, Mark, and I suppose this is a good time for me to read this message from Dr. Phil Mahuma, who's a family physician in midstream here in this part of the world. That gentleman you're hosting now deserves a better title than Mr. He does great work. A few honorary PhDs, OBE. It's not forbidden to dream. <laughs> Wish, advocate. Any titles your way? <laughs> no titles. I'm, I'm happy being Mr. or Comrade. Uh, <laughs> it's fine with me. Comrade Haywood, thank you so much for your time. We, threw, we thoroughly appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll have many more such engagements, both on air and on the side. Thank you for your time this evening. And thank you to the listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Mr. Mark Haywood, outgoing executive director of Section 27. He vacates only the title of executive director, but nonetheless is an activist at heart, and he will continue his work of pretty much the best part of his life in social activism 
fighting for the weaker players. Stay tuned from Gardner to graduate in seven years. The remarkable story of Mr. Lukanyo Mafu, University of Forte Social Sciences graduate last week. Stay tuned. We'll be back with that wonderful story right after this.